Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. I'm going to ask you a question. What's next? Now, when you hear that question, you might think, what do you mean? Like, what's my next job? What's my next relationship? What's my next meal? No, what's next after this life? Have you ever asked that question? Most humans at some point in their life have pondered what's next. Now, what if I told you that an agnostic engineer is going to be able to come and tell you what's next? Good news is he's no longer an agnostic, and he's probably not really much of an engineer anymore either. We'll find out. But today's guest is someone that I've admired from afar for a while. Heard him speak multiple times. John Burke is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Imagine Heaven, as well as his, we'll talk about in the upcoming, in the fall, he's got a new book coming out called Imagine God. John's written the No Perfect People Allowed book, Soul Revolution, Unshockable Love, and spoken in 30 countries to over 200,000 people on topics of everything from spiritual growth to leadership. He and his wife, Kathy, also entrepreneurs in their own right, founded Gateway Church in Austin, Texas in 98, which has now become a vibrant multi-site church, including a global internet campus. Now, what I love about John is not just his heart and his passion for people, but he is probably one of the world's foremost authorities on near-death experiences, having interviewed thousands of people and taken into account their experiences in that very question, what's next? So I can't wait to, to take this journey with him, and I think you're going to get a lot out of his story and what he's experienced through his research. John, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. No, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Now, I warned you ahead of time, we obviously start with the origin story question, right? So take us a little bit back and walk us through your why and what's uh, what's 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 little Johnny Burke made of? Oh, man. <laughs> well, yeah, it actually, uh, how I ended up becoming an author and writing this book, Imagine Heaven, really does go back to my origins. Um, you know, grew up uh, going to church once in a while, but um, in a pretty traditional church. And I, I've always been a curious, analytical, kind of skeptical person, you know, that's, that I think drove me to become an engineer is uh, I, I always ask why and how do you know? And I couldn't get many questions answered. And after a while, I was just like, I'm done with this. And, you know, like, like many people um, just kind of going my way, agnostic. I didn't know if there was a God, didn't really care, thought Jesus is probably a myth. Um, going along my merry way and, and, uh, and then my dad gets cancer. And he's dying of cancer. And someone gave him a book that captured the first research on and, and coined the term near-death experience. You know, the, these, these uh, situations where people clinically die, meaning their heart stops beating, uh, brain waves cease, sometimes for minutes, sometimes for hours. And yet they come back saying that they had an experience of something more real than this life. And I see this book on his nightstand and I start thumbing through it. And I ended up reading the whole thing in one night and said, oh, my gosh, like, could this be evidence that 
maybe this God stuff is real. Maybe there really is something after this life. And so that that really just kind of opened me up. It got me a little more open because uh, I was pretty closed before that. And that started me on a on a journey of trying to explore and understand, you know, kind of how it all fit together. And I ended up finding a, a group of people who weren't afraid of my questions, which really helped. Um, and yeah, so I, I ended up, um, I ended up coming to faith in Christ along that process. Um, and then years later, I left engineering and actually went into ministry. And like you said, my, my wife and I started a church for skeptics and doubters like I was. So we, we've actually helped many skeptical engineers, agnostics, atheists, you name it, every imaginable background, discover that, wow, there's something real uh, to all this God stuff. Like there, there are reasons to believe and, and um, there's good evidence for it. Yeah. And I, lo- I love this. I, don't, I hate to call it an angle. It's not an angle, but I, I love this, this evidentiary route that you've taken with my son's an analytical kid with a really weird creative bent to him, but he's very much that, like, I need to see some evidence, prove things to me. And I, there's so many folks out there like that. And, you know, from all the different, we're hit, we're barraged with so many messages today, right? We have so much access to so much information. And you don't know what to believe anymore. So the brain has started filtering out. Most things is irrelevant for the most part anymore. And this idea of the the journey that you've taken is very, very fascinating because um, I, you know, I've read the book, I've listened to you speak multiple times, and you've brought not just John Burke's opinion about what could be next, like many pastors around the world today, they're talking about what's in the word of saying, this is what God said is next. But if you're an, if you're a skeptic and you're someone who's an analytical skeptic on top of that, you're like, ah, it's allegorical. And you can kind of start writing off a lot of those things. People but you, wrote that. How can you believe, you know, it's thousands of years. I've, yeah. Heard it all. Right, right, right. And, and that's, that's what I love about this. So before we jump into some of the stories, then one of my questions that we hear this a lot. Um, and when I talk about this or have heard about it, cause we study the brain a lot and we study the brain through, you know, behavioral psychology and the neuroscience based on communication is, well, when people are, you know, they're dying and now there's all these, we're measuring this. It's, it's this, this spike of energy that happens neurochemically in the brain. And all this near death experience stuff is, is nothing more than some hallucinogenic effect of, of the neurochemistry in that moment. And right. so get, what are your thoughts on that for those who might think that? Yeah. Well, and, and I had all those questions initially at first, um, after I've spent over 35 years studying thousands of these experiences, and I'm not the only one. So in chapter two of Imagine Heaven, I write about skeptical doctors in the afterlife. And, and I walk through all the skeptical cardiologists, oncologists, others who actually became convinced that there really is a life after death. And these people are having legitimate, real experiences of consciousness beyond this life because of what they said when they came back. And just just so you get a a, a sense, you know, this is not a small population of people. The Gallup poll found that one out of 25 people, uh, Americans, have had a near-death experience, meaning 13 plus million. Um, The the, uh, European Academy of Neuroscience, this a couple years ago, released a paper, um, a study of 35 countries, uh, showing it even more prevalent than that. So we're talking about millions and millions of people and all around the globe. There have been over 900 scholarly 
articles written in peer-reviewed journals like the Journal of the American Medical Association, The Lancet, which is Europe's most prestigious uh, medical journal, psychiatry, I mean, on and on. So, so what is it that fascinates even scientists and, and researchers and what convinced me is that when people first die, they say they leave their, their body, but they still have a body. They have a spiritual body. Um, and they're themselves, not, not any less, in fact, more themselves than, than they ever were before. And not just five senses, they say, like um, senses on steroids, more like 50 senses and blended senses. So it's, it, it's, it's hard to describe some of the things they're experiencing. I like to, I like to say it's like, uh, you know, imagine if your life is being lived, this three-dimensional life is being lived on a flat black and white painting on the wall of your house Death means separation. So at death, you're ripped off that flat two-dimensional picture and you're brought out into this three-dimensional world that was always there, but you didn't even have a concept of a third dimension. Now you're experiencing it and color and then imagine getting pressed back into that two-dimensional life. And you've got to describe three dimensions of life in color, but in flat two-dimensional black and white terms. It'd be... You know, you're you're grappling for words. And, and you see that, by the way, in the Bible. Um, you see that in people's uh, experiences in the book of Revelation. John uh, is writing, he's taken to heaven, and he, he says, and notice, he's describing it. He never says, it was this. He said, it was like this, again and again and again. And that's what these near-death experiencers say as well. So initially, they leave their body. They're watching... The, but they're still in the room and they're watching their own resuscitation or the scene of the accident, whatever it was. And when they come back, they're able to describe things that they, they shouldn't have been able to see because in, in many cases, you know, or almost all cases, they're, they're unconscious. They have no heartbeat. In some cases, they're hooked up to an EEG machine. They have no brain waves. So that doesn't make any sense that it's the last flickering of a dying brain. Um, hallucinogenics doesn't uh, doesn't account for it because people have the exact same orderly type of experience and near death experiences, whether they were had you know uh, drugs beforehand or or didn't. Um, but more importantly, are the uh, the observational evidences they give when they come back. And there have been studies done. So uh, Jan Holden did a study of uh, a group of indie ears, near-death experiencers, who claimed they were out of their body. They made these observations. They may make multiple observations. And, and she found that 92% of their observations were completely accurate. Another 6% were mostly accurate. Only 2% were inaccurate. And then they compared that to a control group who had cardiac arrest, but didn't claim to have a near-death experience and said, what do you think happened? And they were just guessing. Right. I mean, it was like what they had seen on ER or something like that. <laughs> right. and, and it turned out to be not even close. And, and so, you know, you have, and you're, we're talking about people all over the world. So uh, I interviewed a cardiologist, Dr. Michael Sabum, who said he actually set out to disprove near-death experiences but when he actually started asking his patients, he said um, some of them, like this guy, Pete Morton, described what he did for res resuscitation in such a way that if he had recorded it, he could have taught physicians what to do. It was that detailed. 
And after five years of researching his own patients, he wrote an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And you got people like um, Dr. Pim Van Lommel, who's a Dutch cardiologist, who wrote in The Lancet about a guy that is brought into the emergency room. He was found in a park, no heartbeat. They didn't know how long he was dead. Um, they went to, to shock his heart and found he had dentures. So the nurse took the dentures out of his mouth, put it in the lower drawer of the crash cart. Then they intubated him, shocked his heart, got it going again. But he never came to in the ER. They wheel him out a week later in a completely different room. He comes to. He sees that nurse and says, hey, that's the nurse who knows where my lost dentures are. And, and he explained that I was watching everyone in the room, described who was in the room, and described that nurse putting the dentures in the lower drawer of a cart with all those bottles on it. And that's exactly where they found his dentures. That's amazing. And, and so you've got many, many uh, uh, evidential accounts like that. And that's what convinced me. And, and that's what convinced many skeptical doctors as well. What I loved about your premise behind how you constructed not just the book, but your your research was you were looking for it. And correct me if I'm wrong. You, you were not looking for uh, I'm going to write a research article to prove near death experiences. You were trying to chronicle what consistencies there were from so many people who had a similar experience who couldn't possibly have known each other, had similar experiences. Was that what was the approach you took with that? And then what were now let's get into some of those it's just unexplainable any other way than this had to be real consistencies. Yeah. Well, I didn't really set out to do anything. <laughs> I really, you know, it's kind of the weird story of my life, Jeff, honestly, as I look back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I would have never, in fact, many times I, I honestly say to God, like, really, this is, this is what my life is like. This is weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, like sometimes I'm like, this is weird. I would have thought that. Um, but I was curious. And, and so, you know, because of just what happened with my dad and that kind of leading me to faith and I was always curious, okay, what are these? And, and the more I studied them, the more I tried to, again, I'm analytical. So I make observations. So I, I just started noticing commonalities. And then the more I was, you know, I, I ended up going to seminary and get a master's degree in in philosophy and in theology. And so I start trying to match the commonalities with the expectations of the life to come in the Bible. And the more I did, the more I was astounded. And then after, you know, 35 years of researching and doing that, I finally wrote the book. So it wasn't like I, it wasn't like I set out with this methodical, here's what I'm going to do At, by the end of it. I, that's what it, that's what it had become. But yeah, there are, I I've chronicled uh, about 40 descriptors that people uh, often give of the life to come. And then I, you know, I've studied the world's religions and read, you know, a lot of the, the sacred scriptures of most of the world's religions, not, not all the scriptures that's, that'd take a lifetime, but, a, but a lot of them and the expectation of life to come. And what I found fascinating is that in, in most of them, there are anywhere from four to six descriptors that you would expect that then indie ears from around the world also describe. OK, um, in in the Bible, there are 38 out of the 40 that I could chronicle um, in Imagine Heaven. I focus I focus in on about 12 of the most common ones, like people have a spiritual body um, like I was describing. And by the way, what's fascinating as well is I think 
the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, may have had a near-death experience. In, in Acts chapter 14, it talks, he, it talks about how he was in Lystra, and they, the crowd turned on him, stoned him to death, dragged him out of the city, and left him for dead. And, and then they gather around him, they pray for him, and he, and he gets up, and he goes back into the city. I wouldn't go back in the city where they just <laughs> threw rocks at me till I was dead. But then the key thing is uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. But I was taken up into paradise and I heard and saw things inexpressible. And so he talks about something very similar to what near-death experiencers talk about. And you see that all throughout the, throughout the scriptures as well. So after people observe their, their resuscitation, another commonality is they, they travel. Sometimes they travel through what they they see as like a tunnel. Um, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like they're they're going through the. <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but it's like they're going through the hospital. They're going through the the city. They're going out into space. They are and they're they're going like supersonic speed. Sometimes accompanied by angels. Sometimes not. Um, they come to a place of exquisite beauty often. And this is a place not unlike Earth. Uh, there are mountains and trees and forests and valleys and flowers, and it's incredible beauty, but experienced in new dimensions of, of time and of space. And so, for instance, uh, indie ears will commonly say, I don't know if it lasted a minute or a year. You know, time, some say there was no time, some say there was time, but time worked differently. Interestingly, uh, in the New Testament, it says to the Lord, uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so they say almost the exact same thing. And I and I posit in Imagine Heaven that if we experience, we only experience one dimensional time. If we experience even two dimensional time, meaning that at each point of time in our one, our timeline that goes in one direction, right? If at each point there was another line that goes infinitely one way, you would have infinite time at each point in time. And that's kind of what people describe experiencing. Um, they then commonly are seeing this beautiful place and they talk about how light comes out of everything. Now, this is fascinating too, because again, remember, studied near-death experiences from all over the world and even blind people when they have a near-death experience, people blind from birth, I write about three of them that are that I chronicle in Imagine Heaven, they see the same things. So the experience of the blind is exactly the same as the experience of the sighted, which would make no sense if it's just the, the fleeting thoughts of your brain, because these brains have never seen anything. Yeah, you got no memory, right? You have so no visualization. And, and, and there's so much like that, a, a highly lucid experience that's very orderly and not exactly the same, but the same uh, consistencies of elements. I mean, that's the that's the strongest testimony of a court of law. You get everyone saying exactly the same thing. That's collusion. But you get many different people saying similar things, but from different perspectives. That's the that's the greatest testimony you can get in in a court of law trying to prove something. That's what we have with near death experience testimony. So, for instance, this uh, one woman, Vicky, was blind from birth. She has those that experience. She's seen her body 
uh, in the emergency room. It's taken her a while to get used to. I'm seen. She leaves. She travels. She comes to this place of exquisite beauty. She talks about how, you know, there, the light was not like light on earth. And this is a commonality. So the light was coming out of everything, she said, out of the grass, out of the trees, out of the birds, and even out of this group of people that were coming toward her. Now, here's what's interesting about that, is that in uh, the Hebrew Jewish scriptures in Isaiah 60 and in the New Testament in Revelation 21, it says that in heaven there is no sun or moon, for the glory of God is the light. Jesus is the lamp, and the nations will walk in that light. It says that. Right. And consistently, these near-death experiencers talk about the light of heaven just like that, coming out of everything, even blind people. And a blind person would not, would not hear that light comes out of things, because on earth it shines on things. So how, how would they know that? So you've got consistencies like, like this. Um, these people come toward Vicky and she recognizes relatives who had died or a grandmother who had died, um, two friends, uh, Debbie and Diane, who were nine and 11, uh, who, who also died. They were also blind and had, had other, you know, just ailments that they, they struggled with in life. They had died at a young age. She sees them, but she sees them in their prime. Mm. That's, that's, she described it and they're healthy and they're whole. And one of them, um, was very overweight in life, but not there. So she's describing these things. Then and 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 so that's another commonality um, that we often have a welcoming committee of those who have gone on before us, and they come and and they greet us. And it's you know people are so worried like the the life to come is this ethereal floating around wisp. No, it's more real. People say than this life. This is the wispy ethereal one. And and so there there are hugs and there are kisses and there's remembering together and it's it's like picking up where you left off but a whole new depth to relationship and then she turns and she sees this person brighter than the sun um, but not hard to look at in fact mesmerizing and this is another commonality because she knows this is God. And she's a believer in Jesus, and she sees Jesus. So in this light is this man with a beard and a robe, and uh, she runs to him, and he hugs her and embraces her, and she can feel his beard, and she sees light coming out of his beard, and um, and he, he tells her, it's wonderful here, isn't it? Everything fits. And then another commonality. So, so that's a commonality is people commonly see the same God of light and love. Those who know he's Jesus many times know he's Jesus. Some don't. They're just seeing this God uh, of love brighter than the sun. So those who maybe weren't Christian on earth when this happened, they could have been a different religion or no religion at all. They're still seeing the same being, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. And um, and in my my new book, Imagine God, uh, that's that's coming out in the fall. I have Hindu, multiple Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Jewish people, atheists, agnostics. They're all describing the same God. Many of them then come to believe in Jesus and follow him. Not all do, which is a confusing part, um, but not all do. 
God doesn't take away our free will. And, and let me let me just say, Jeff, because if there are Christians listening to this, I know many times um, Christians really struggle. They're like, well, why would, why if they don't believe in God or they don't believe in Jesus, why would they see him? To which I say, well, Revelation 1-7 says every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, even those who nailed Jesus to the cross, they're all going to see him eventually. And, and remember, too, the Apostle Paul did not believe in Jesus. In fact, he was persecuting Christians. He was anti-Jesus when this blinding light appears to him on the Damascus Road, same God of light. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Fascinatingly, in this new book, um, there's a, a Hindu anesthesiologist who has almost the identical experience and asks, who are you, Lord? And out of this br brilliant light steps a man with a beard and a robe and says, I'm Jesus, your savior. Wow. Wow. So that this stuff is, uh, I think, in some ways, really challenging. In other ways, it's really encouraging. And I'm sure you've went through all these emotions right over the years of doing this. And so as you think about one of the, uh, so many things, that, so many angles I want to take with this, but the one I want to backtrack on just to help people maybe think about this. So there's always that question, like, will I see my relatives? Will I see people that have gone before me? Will I see them in heaven? And it sounds to me like the answer to that is unequivocally, yes, you're going to see those folks. Um, that was a consistency, it sounds like. Yes, I would say yes, yes, but with one caveat. And 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 this is the important part is that, you know, another commonality is that in God's presence, people feel, and it doesn't matter who they are or, or what they've done, they feel the most overwhelming, unconditional love from God. Like, like more than any parent to a child, more than any friend to friend, more than any lover to lover, more than spouses could have. I mean, they 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 describe it just with hyperbole upon hyperbole because they don't know how else to describe it. They say love that we call love just doesn't even come close. But what they also realize is that God doesn't make us love him. He truly has given us free will. And they come back realizing that, uh, because another, another uh, commonality is that in God's presence, they often get a life review. So remember, time doesn't work the same way. So literally, he shows them their life again. They relive their life. And, and watching from this panoramic three-dimensional perspective of every interaction they have with every person, not only remembering and feeling what they were thinking and feeling, but experiencing what the other person was thinking and feeling as well. Wow. And many times seeing and experiencing the ripple effects of their negative actions on others, but even more profoundly, they see how every little act of kindness, the difference it made not only in that person, but God wants them to see that that ripples through humanity, that, that, that actually makes an impact that ripples through humanity. And so people come back commonly saying two things they know are true. God is love. And what God cares most about is how we treat one another, how we, how we love one another which of course is what Moses said. And that's what Jesus reiterated and said, that sums up the whole Bible. So this is so fascinating to me. And I think one of my hopes for this episode was people would hear this and they'd listen to this, they'd read the book, they would look into this a little bit more and it would change the way they live out their day-to-day -day lives. Because what, I, what I'm hearing, oh, what, it will. What, what I've recognized from 
number one, I had a, I had a strange question for you. I'm like, you've not had a near death experience. Am I correct? You haven't. No, I haven't. And people, you know, in fact, the people that I interview are, are kind of like, wow, we've never had anybody who's not had one of these experiences that actually cares and like is promoting it. Why are you doing this? And I, you know, I, I feel like it's something that God showed me that to me is just so astounding. Like, honestly, Jeff, if people really take the time to look at it all, I don't see how they can doubt it. Really, I don't see how that, but most people don't. What I find is most people, yeah, well, it's probably, and off they go. Right. And, and here's why. And this is an important thing, if you know, to, to consider. It's hard for all of us to test our own assumptions about life. Like we all build a worldview and we build that worldview to make ourselves feel secure and valuable. And anything that we feel like might threaten that, we just push away usually. It's very hard to go into the dissonance of checking your, your assumptions with new data. And, um, and, and yet the thing is, and I, I agree with you, I hope what people hear is this is nothing to fear. Like what these people are saying is that if there really is this God that they claim, which, which I'm showing perfectly lines up with what God's been claiming all along revealed in the scriptures, then there is no one who's more for you. There's no one who loves you more. There's no one who gets you more. That's the other thing is they talk about how God is fun and funny and like you feel comfortable. In fact, I was, I was just interviewing someone recently and she said, you know, I asked her, did you feel comfortable in his presence? She said, you know, I felt so comfortable. It was weird. I'm arguing with God. (laughs) And she was arguing because she didn't want to go back. Now think about that. This is a mother with young children who she left her career as a nurse to just be home with her children because she loves them so much. And yet in God's presence, she's like, I understood they'll be fine. And this is where I belong. And she didn't want to go back. And she's arguing with God. No, I need to stay. Did you ever, uh, did you ever have a moment during some of your research where you're like, dang it, God, this is so exciting. I want a near death experience. Can you just let me see that? (laughs) Yes. And the, and, and the longer, you know, so, so here's another wild thing, Jeff. I mean, there are so many and you, you just go, you can go all directions, but another guy I was interviewing recently said something that as an engineer, I've often said to God, and it's kind of like, dang, entropy. Lord, why the entropy? You know, entropy is this law of, you know, second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes toward chaos and disorder. Everything. Yeah. I mean, just leave your garage alone long enough. And it's a nightmare, right? (laughs) Everything rots and goes. And what this guy, Dean, was, was saying is that, What he noticed in heaven was it's the opposite of earth in the sense that not only are things not decaying and going toward disorder, there is a a generative effect on everything. Everything is growing and increasing and getting better. Mm. It's it's like life on steroids. So why do you think, let's ask a couple of big questions. So so you got story after story after story after story after story that this evidence of what you're saying is true and these people's experiences lines up and there's consistencies and and anyone who, whether you're a scientific mind or not, can see that this is kind of evidence that there's something here. So then some of the bigger questions that might be asked is, well, if this is true and God has given certain people a 
picture, a sneak peek into what heaven is like and his desires for all of humanity to come in alignment with his will and who he is, why wouldn't he just give all of us that sneak peek and say, <laughs> right? So this, I'm going to let you sneak peek it. And then here you go back in here. Now love like I just taught you to love for this last 10 minutes and go back to and live a more purposeful life. Yeah. Like, what do you think that's all about? Well, funny, Dr. Mary Neal, um, who is a spine surgeon, which by the way, you know, in, in Imagine Heaven, that's who I'm interviewing. They're CEOs, they're spine surgeons, they're college professors, they're bank presidents. These people have nothing to gain making up these crazy wild stories. And yet they say it was the most real thing that ever happened. So Dr. Neal, in the presence of Jesus, asked that very question. She said, this is so wonderful. Why don't you just give everybody this experience and everybody will believe? And I love this because Jesus quotes himself. <laughs> he, he basically paraphrases what he said to Thomas, doubting Thomas, when, when he said, you have seen and believe, but even more blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I'm in good company. I can tell my wife I'm in good company when I quote myself. That's, that's all he said. That's all he said. But, but here's the thing, Jeff. Here's what I've realized. Um, it's, it's a privilege on one hand to have a near-death experience, but it's, it's a responsibility on the other in two ways. One thing I, I say to people is, you know, whenever, whenever I'm interviewing them, I usually notice a hole right here, a scar. Like right in the throat, right above the apple. Yeah. Because most of them had a tracheotomy. Great. Yep. Trying to save their lives. Yeah. And so it's a great reminder. This wasn't an easy thing to go through. They had to come back. And many, another commonality is many of them come back and get depressed. They don't want to be back here. One guy told me it was like being dumped into the sewer. Mm. Compared to what that was, it was like, now I have to live in the sewer. And so that's a responsibility. And so they come back realizing, you know, I still have a purpose here and I have a responsibility here, but it, it makes it harder because of what they've experienced. So sometimes I do say to God, man, why can't I have experiences? I don't have experiences. I don't. I don't have experiences like that. And I, and I think, honestly, what he's let me know is that, like, that's not, I, I made you the way you are for a reason. Kind of like I'm a bridge to doubters, right. <laughs> like myself. Yeah, I, you know, like I was meant to be a bridge to show people who are like myself. No, this really makes sense. You know, I can't. I can't say I've had this wild experience. I haven't. But if you really look at it, I, and I think, I think Jeff, that they are a gift from God. Just one more point of evidence in our in our age of increasing medical resuscitations more and more of these, we're just getting more and more evidence from around the globe that this is real. Now, the other thing I think is interesting is, because the other question I was, I've talked to people about this and knew, knowing you were coming on is there like, that idea of, well, why did, did everybody just get shown heaven? Did anybody get shown, you know, Sheol <laughs> or, the, or, or hell? Was there that side of things, right? Where they, they got shown both? Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, in Imagine Heaven, I, I, I talk about kind of the chronology of, of the research of near-death experiences as well. That's not really what it's about. I mean, when, when, when you read it, it's more like, I mean, I, I think you would agree, but it's more like reading a sci-fi novel because you're right. like experiencing yes. this and like, wow. 
but I but I also um, was trying to show, you know, in the early days of this research. So the research has been going on for about forty years now. Um, a lot of Christians pushed it away, and part of it was because no one was coming forward having had a hellish experience. Now, if you think about it, why would you want to? If it's truly something more real, and that's what these people say, that um, it's more real, the good and the bad, than anything they've ever experienced. So they actually have PTSD from it. Um, this one college professor uh, who was an atheist that uh, who was in uh, Imagine Heaven, uh, in the, there is one chapter on hell, and I and I talk about hellish NDEs because like one study done found that of those who did come forward to report an NDE just of their own free will, 23% reported hellish or negative uh, experiences. So that's the other part of it is you can't, you know, you can't just take the good and and throw out the bad. And initially they were, they weren't trying to wrestle through how, how do they both fit together and, and the way they do fit together. And I go into this in more depth in, in my new book, imagine God is that God has truly given us free will. And as one indie ear um, that I recently interviewed said, she realized it was the most selfless act of love that God would create creatures that he doesn't demand love him back. That he doesn't demand do his will, even though his will is perfect. It is definition of love but actually to allow creatures to shoot the bird at him and say, no, I know what's best for my life. My will be done, which by the way, we've all done. I mean, I remember when I did it, I remember thinking like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to give my life. I don't want to follow God. I don't even want to know if there's a God really, because he'll screw my life up. And I got plans. (laughs) And that's so true. And isn't that, I mean, and it's true of all of us. It is true of all of us. Now, the other side of that is, you know, and this is what people experience in God's presence, this word called grace. So in his presence, when people get a life review, they see their good and they see their bad. And there's no, there's no rationalizing. You, you, you can't pretend there. It's like evident. So what people honestly often say is God was not judging me. I was judging myself. Mm. And, and they realize, oh my gosh, you know, look at, look at the good and the bad and there's no, and so, and instead God is still showing them love because he created us to be his children. He does love us. But what, what he did through Jesus is offer grace, which means, you know, what, what we would do for our own children if if push came to shove, right? I, I've got two little granddaughters. Like if they were if they were going to die and be separated from me, I would take the bullet. Right. Yeah. That's God. He he took the bullet. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And and it's not just myth. It's really not just myth. And I I I go into in in the new book, I go into how I discovered the historical proof that God really, really did this because he foretold it. He said in advance he would do it. And we have copies of scriptures predating Jesus 
that foretell what he's going to do. And Jesus exactly did that. And it's confirmed in history. And, and I'm blown away because I hear people go like, oh, well, Jesus wasn't historical or, you know, well, there's no evidence. There's no proof. And when I when I push on them, I realize, well, you haven't even read the Bible <laughs> and, you, <laughs> right. and you haven't done any research on your own. You're taking word on the street. Yeah. And, and again, what I would say is it all goes back to that that fear in the back of our minds that God's going to screw my life up and nothing could be further from the truth. No one's, no one's more for you. Yeah. And I love that my son and I were talking about this recently and we were talking about the fact that this idea that God is love and what, to your point, defining what that is and all, the ultimate description uh, in my words to him was the ultimate description of love is choice to your point. Right. And if, 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 if God is truly love and he gave, gave us the choice to love him and to love each other, and that's the ultimate representation of love, then he has to, you have to take the good with the bad. So, I mean, I love that. That concept here. And what I hope people take away from this is if nothing else, if you're, if you currently are, this is nothing but affirmation of what you already believe, is it, is it really impacting the way you live every day? So you might believe one thing, but then that's not necessarily behave it every day. But if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I know there's something more, I believe there's something supernatural and spiritual about who we are as beings, but I don't know exactly what it is. This is a good example of saying, well, my papa used to stay on the farm and you don't know what you don't know until somebody tells you what you don't know. Well, these people have kind of gone there and they're coming back saying, here's what you don't know, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and, and um, you know, a couple of things I would, I, I would say is that it does change the way you live because what you start to realize is this life is really just the first chapter of the, of the rest of the story. Life is continuous. It doesn't end. It keeps going. And, and what we invest in and who we become, who we become is our gift back to God. And then what we do to uh, uh, empower and love others with our gifts, with our resources, with our time, whether it's through business or as a pastor, that doesn't matter to God. You know, what, what matters to God is how we live our lives honestly before this God who loves us, and then how we use what we've been given to make a difference for others in this life. And, and that continues on with us and continues on not floating around in wispy clouds, listening to heart music. That's that, that always messed it up for me too. You know, I was like, I don't want to do that. So I don't want to think about it. No, think about, think about everything you love about this life continuing on, but you know, a hundred X and in all kinds of new depth of experience. That's the best way to think of the life to come. And so, yeah, it does. It changes your motivation. And, you know, Jeff, it answers a lot of the why questions too. I mean, not fully, not like I have every why question answered. I still go seriously, God, why, you know, but, but it does answer a lot of the big ones. Like you said, um, if love is the point of it all, and clearly that's what people say. God is love and love is the point of it all. Then free will and choice really is a necessity. Because, you know, like we were saying, you can't, you can't buy love. You can't uh, coerce love. You can't force love. You can't hold a gun to someone's head and say, love me. You know, because we know even if they parroted love, it's not real love. And so that is the foundation of, of this life. 
And that explains why God doesn't intervene when we want him to. So he truly lets people do horrendous things to each other. That's my will be done, not his will be done. But even in that, he wants, he wants to walk with us to, to correct it and to, to move in new ways and to help others move in new ways, you know, so that we, we truly act, you know, more like God who gives good gifts even to people who hate him. Yeah, and I and I obviously lots of questions of you know using your two dimensional chalkboard analogy um, or painting analogy is if we all started on the other side of that in this three dimensional world of spiritual beings and then we were put on this two dimensional painting for a period of time for a purpose and if you think about that our souls are longing for that space that we know is real that we are now we're projected here so our hearts are, our our souls are longing to be back there because that's home and yet everything we do that's con- that's contentious on this planet. And the conflict we have as humans is our own human desire to to basically be God through self-preservation, right? And fear. And yet it's our souls just crying out. I just want to be back in that space of that. Yeah, uh, philosopher. I mean, philosophers have written about that forever. And that's all it is, right? It's that longing to be in that space that these people have experienced. There's this longing for something. You know, C.S. Lewis said, it, you know, if we have thirst, there is water to satisfy the thirst. If we have hunger, there's food to satisfy the hunger. If we have a desire that nothing on earth can satisfy, that means we were made for something other than this earth. Yeah. It's that simple, right? It is. And how we act and behave, I guess, while we're here is just a that, that we could go for another four episodes on all of those things and how we do that. So I, I can't believe we're out, we're out of time here, but man, I, I'd, really, I'd love to learn more of, of these stories, I want people to go in and read the book because obviously the book's amazing. There's so many more stories in the book. If you've, if this has intrigued you at all, you can go into it a lot deeper. Uh, we didn't even get into whether, you know, my, my, my pet Sadie, who I had for 16 years, my dog, if she's there, she greet me. Um, you know, we didn't get into all that, but it's in a, there. Uh, it's in there. I know it's in there. I'm just teasing yeah, there, the audience. There, I think there are about a hundred people's stories that I'm you know, what I'm trying to show is I'm trying to show the expectation of heaven through the scriptures, through illustrated through the eyes of all these people and showing as you read the overlapping accounts, you start to realize like, oh, yeah, they couldn't all be making up saying the same thing from from all around the world. Yeah, I love it. And can you give us a, you started to give us a little teaser earlier, but with Imagine God, you're in the you're in the final stages here. You're going to is it still up to be released this fall? Yeah, it's coming out November 7th. And uh, it's really going to focus in on on the 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 story of God. So the story of God through history, but also the attributes of God, um, how we relate to God. And again, illustrated through the eyes of people um, really from from every imaginable background and culture. So really, this is the God of all nations, uh, of all people. And he doesn't. He doesn't care about some of his children more than others. He he loves all of us equally. And so I'm trying to show that. But by the end of the book, uh, you know, I, what I'm hoping for is that people just are in awe of God and and realize how he feels about them so that they they want to relate to him. They understand how to relate to him. Well, where can we go to learn more about you and your work and your books? And where, where can folks go? Uh, imagineheaven.net uh, is you can you can see uh, I think we still have some of the videos out there uh, that you can you can look at and um, and then imagine heaven of course is on 
Amazon or wherever, wherever you want to get books. Um, and I'm still at gatewaychurch.com um, uh, doing, doing, actually, I'm not going to be speaking for the next six months. I'm, I'm transitioning from there uh, to full-time write and speak. Uh, but, but I've, I'm going to continue to speak every once in a while there as well. So for folks who might want to book you in speaking, regardless of where they are around the world, can they find you at imagineheaven.net there as well? Contact you that way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Or through gatewaychurch.com, through my email there. Well, I would love to have you back on in the fall or whenever you think is appropriate when we're about to launch Imagine God and go through some of that in more depth so we can do that a proper launch if you're uh, if you're willing. I'd love to. All right. Well, this has been great. I hope it's been challenging to you out there reading and, or listening and watching um, just going through it again for me, like the fifth time with this, it's got me, you know, spinning again. So I hope this was inspiring to you out there watching and listening to think a little bit differently of our, about our purpose here on this planet and making the most of every day and living without the fear of knowing, not knowing what's next. If we can think about that three-dimensional world that exists outside of our two-dimensional minds, and then you could live in a way that's kind of fearlessly shows love to those around you. Oh, what a change in the world we'd have, wouldn't it? So, John, thank you very much. We loved having you on, and we'll have you on again in a few months. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.